Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am the host for today's show. My name is Peter Englert. I'm the adult ministries director from Browncroft Community Church. We exist to ask the questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in church. So we are uh, doing a series with the Small Group Network. Um, They are out of California. I'm part of them. But we're discussing the topic of the world reopening after the coronavirus. And so in this episode, I think this is a really fun episode um, because I'm hearing more and more people talk about this question. And the question is, why don't we keep working from home? And we are with James Browning, who is in charge of content. Um, He's also kind of a, I guess we call a pastor of the small group network, and he's joining us today. And uh, he's really going to relate to this story. So James, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here. That's awesome. Hey, before we jump into this topic of why should we still, you know, why can't we just work from home, share a little bit about yourself and give us a little bit of your story. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, my name is James Browning and I historically have been a big advocate for working from home. I, I uh, am originally from Ohio I came out to California for college and seminary. And then while in seminary and also while working part-time at a church, uh, I found out you could get paid more by doing digital marketing. (laughs) 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 And so um, paid the bills by doing search engine optimization uh, during seminary. And I worked a lot with churches and I doing consulting and, and what I call digital evangelization and all that, but uh, that was probably close to 10, 12 years ago now. And churches were not nearly as aware of the necessity for SEO or interested in digital marketing at the time. And so uh, regular businesses were probably my main main bread and butter. I, After graduating from seminary, I was still very involved in our church, but just as purely as a volunteer, uh, level and was doing this full time for a number of years. I did some work with agencies, some some local businesses, some national business, businesses. And then after my wife and I started having kids, we moved to Nashville. I, not because of any particular reason other than it was more affordable than uh, the Santa Monica area where we were living. And uh, because I was working remotely, I could work anywhere. Uh, so we moved to Nashville, uh, and I started working with an agency there. Uh, and again, everyone there worked remotely. Uh, occasionally we would do meetups and, and co-working and that kind of thing, but there was no office to go to. I eventually I left that and went fully corporate and started working for HarperCollins Christian Publishing, which is owned by HarperCollins, which is owned by News Corp <laughs> and is extremely corporate and um, went to an office. Like I was in a cubicle and the whole nine yards and I was okay with that. I, you know, wasn't a fan of the commute and it was nice to see everybody every day, but, and especially because I was jumping into such a niche world, I had not done anything publishing. It was very helpful to have people around to kind of help in that transition. But even before remote working and the pandemic and all that, 
Uh, they were a little infamous internally for their onboarding process. Uh, and I think, I think that was largely because there are so many corporate hands in the, in the pot. Like you got to have your News Corp onboarding. You got to have your HarperCollins onboarding. You got to have your HarperCollins Christian Publishing onboarding. And then whatever imprint you're working with, for example, if you're with Zondervan or Thomas Nelson, or in my case, the, the Spanish teams, uh, Editorial Vida and Grupo Nelson, uh, you have to have those onboarding. So mm -hmm. it was a little bit of a mess before the pandemic. And then when we all started working remotely, <laughs> uh, it didn't get better. And <laughs> so anybody new that came on during that time, um, I and a few of the other people in marketing had started building an onboarding wiki on Microsoft Teams just because it had been such a pain for us that we're like, oh, anybody new coming on now is, is uh, gonna have a real hard time. But aside from that, I was super excited to be back working remotely, uh, but not excited enough to stay. And now I'm <laughs> employed by Saddleback Church out in California and uh, working with the small group network. You know, I, I wanna come back to that, but you just brought up something that I think is actually, I feel like our listeners really resonate with. So, when I hear you talk about onboarding process, um, I hear things like that meeting should have been an email or why do I have to, you know, why do I need to sit with you for two hours when you could have given me, you know, a video series or something like that? You know, I, I guess I'm kind of, I, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts, even to some of our business leaders, because it sounds like there's a lot of business, they're onboarding just assumed you were in person, what advice would you kind of give to them based on your experience? Yeah, so um, remote work obviously has its pros and cons. Uh, but to me, the biggest challenge with remote work isn't necessarily a concrete con. It's not something that's always a negative. It's the learning curve. And that's mm. the team learning curve. So for leaders, that's a unique challenge. Uh, you didn't go to your MBA school and take a class on how to lead remotely or how to build uh, asynchronous uh, team cultures. <laughs> um, and, but that that's a necessity if you're gonna be doing remote work. And uh, so for, I think the biggest learning or takeaway is that there is, incredible value to remote work. There's going to be more incredible value to remote work, but it's a J curve in getting there. You start off, everyone's like, okay, this is, we can do this. We can handle the pandemic. But after months of doing things differently, it gets frustrating and wears on people for whom that's not second nature. For me, I came up doing that. And when we went back to doing remote work, I'm like, piece of cake. This is in my wheelhouse. I have my home office all set up. Like I have better home office and monitor and setup than I did at work. Like this is perfect. But then I realized, oh, the challenge is now with my team <laughs> who have been in an office for 20 years in the same office with an industrial printer and, and an you know, editorial world. Like they all print off their paperwork and, and work from it like that. And so the team culture 
suffered, even though I personally was okay, like everything else became more of a challenge because it was not how everyone else was used to it. So learning as a leader to go through that and to come out the other side and to build the culture with that in mind, uh, will experience a dip in morale and productivity. Um, and I think eventually to come out of it, you have to find a way to energize people through that, which for some people is a challenge. Others, it's going to be easy. Mm. Man, that was really good. I'm glad we took that. Uh, I didn't want to say J curve, <laughs> but no, I think that that's helpful. Um, so you kind of stopped. You made a huge transition from Nashville to California. Um, I've been telling people this, like I said to my wife, I said, who has a kid during the pandemic? And then, you know, nine months later, here's Lucy Englert. So there's <laughs> like, there's like a couple things like that I think we've all been through this pandemic. And I think it's surprising to some people that there's people like you that actually uprooted left. And, you know, we're talking to you in sunny California with some cars driving by your office as we can hear. So, <laughs> Uh, you know, share a little bit of that story. Yeah, I I really liked what I was doing at HarperCollins. Uh, I oversaw marketing for Spanish language Bibles and academic and reference, uh, which I have a degree in Spanish. I have uh, an MDiv from seminary, a master's degree from seminary, and I had 10 years of marketing. There's like three jobs in the world where I get to use all three of those <laughs> Things. And this was one of them. Um, so it was it was a great fit in a lot of ways. I liked the people I worked with, uh, but I I honestly was getting burnt out uh, for a lot of the same reasons other people were. Uh, and I think that that was partially because I, of not being energized during that time. The I was discussing this with someone else the other day about how. Um, many of us are kind of, we're kind of overworked. We, I mean, we had some of our best sales ever during the pandemic, uh, but there just wasn't anything feeding back in emotionally. The, kind of the, the things that rejuvenate you. Uh, when you go on vacation, the things that rejuvenate you usually aren't sleeping in. It's the activities, it's the people, it's whatever. And this felt like it was just, it just kept going. And so I'd been like 90% of other people during the pandemic <laughs> thinking about a change. Um, and uh, my friend from college and seminary, Jay Cranda, who is the online pastor at Saddleback called me up and said, hey, uh, we have another role opening up with the small group network. Would you be interested in hearing more? I had never heard of the small group network. <laughs> and uh but I said, yeah, I'd be interested in learning about it. I, you know, I don't know much. And 20 minutes later, Steve Gladen, the founder, uh, was interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a pretty, it was a pretty quick process. But um, the biggest reason, and I've heard a lot of people word this differently or similarly, but uh, anytime you make a big change is for two reasons and usually a combination of the two reasons. You're either very dissatisfied with where you're at or you really want something else. And if you aren't dissatisfied with something or you don't really want something, you may complain about something, but you're never 
actually going to make the change. Uh, because of probably because of the pandemic, I was uncomfortable enough with where I was at. And I, uh, once I learned of the, what was going on with the network, I really believe in its mission and value. And, and so both of those factors came into play there. There's two things I, I want to kind of hold you on. Cause I, I think for this question, you know, why can't I just work from home? I, I think there's, there's a couple things just, so number one is, you know, I, I've read some studies that there's a lot of people that actually want to move closer to home. And it's just, it's this realization that if we ever go through something like this again, I want to be by family. You grew up in Ohio. I don't know where your family's from, you know, but the second thing is like, do you think there's people that I talk to that say things like, I really got burnt out. And I've talked to a number of different organizations that they have that similar story. And I'm sure our listeners, is it, is it so much that I just, I, we almost went through five years of being in an organization in one year and I was ready for a change. Or do you think that it's the actual health of the organization? So if I was to kind of sum it all up, uh, William Vanderblooming, who's in charge of like getting mm -hmm. people jobs, he, he basically said 2021 is going to be the year of change because of all of these factors. So I guess I'd start with you. Were there some personal reasons that kind of drew you to California outside of what you shared? But then the second thing is, you know, help our listeners kind of understand the, uh, we went through five years in one year, kind of the burnout, and maybe how are you kind of processing in a new season, in a new role, how not to go through that again, knowing that you can't control a pandemic? I, I think... Um, there are a couple answers to that. And I'm going to start off with why, <laughs> why we came back to California. The first is I, I had lived here in the past and I really enjoyed it. I, I, California has its faults, uh, but so does Nashville and so does Ohio. And in the interview process, uh, Steve, who I report to said, you know, like Orange County is kind of its own culture. Are you going to be okay with that? And, and I told him, uh, yeah, California is crazy, but it's my kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, and I, I still think that that's true. I, I've lived a lot of different places. I've lived in other countries. Uh, and um, the thing that I've learned is that everywhere has its faults. And maybe you don't see the faults in your area because you've been there for so long um, or just are so comfortable with it but they're there. And uh, so if I'm going to live somewhere flawed, I should live somewhere flawed by the beach. <laughs> um, but the, I had also been, um, my whole career has been right on the edge of ministry. I not fully, well, when I first started, I, I led a children's ministry at a church, but for the most part, it's, it's not been fully in ministry. It's been on the edge. And this is since that uh, interim children's director role, this has been the most in ministry that I've been. And I had been feeling, sensing a little bit of call to that. I, but even then I still don't, my title is pastor, but a lot of what I do is community management and <laughs> marketing and, 
and strategy and that kind of thing. Um, and then on to the year of change, the, I agree with that. And I think that it, I think it's the emotional and kind of spiritual equivalent of everybody moving someplace new where they don't know anybody all at the same time. Mm. I, for those of you who went to college out of state, I, you're, I imagine your first year of college, I, it took you kind of a while to get your feet on the ground. You, like you show up in this new town and you think of all the things that are annoying with it and, and everything else. And the college is doing its best with, you know, events and mixers and whatever else. And it still takes you a while to kind of really get to the area, get to know the area and enjoy the area. Uh, we did that with the pandemic, but there's no one setting up mixers. <laughs> <laughs> so you're basically in uncharted territory where you have no contact with anyone personally and everyone's doing things slightly off. And um, I've lived in, like I said, I've lived in other countries and I found that people are much more forgiving where everything is different and wrong than where things are slightly off. Like mm -hmm. if you go to another country and they're doing something differently, you think, well, it's just a different culture. But if you move to a different part of our country and they do things slightly differently, you think, what's wrong with you? <laughs> 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 and so it was a big cultural shift for everyone. So for everyone, it felt like they're in a place where this isn't right, whether it's they're frustrated with politics, frustrated with work because of the pandemic, frustrated with uh, being stuck at home and finding all the personality flaws with your spouse or them finding out yours, uh, or trying to navigate education with your kids remotely when the teachers were given two week notice to prepare an entire year's worth of lesson via Zoom. I, that is a lot for everyone. And there was no re-energizing in that. Mm -hmm. Man, that is so good. Um, so I, I wanna come back to, cause I think all of those themes are gonna come up because there's a lot of people that feel just what you said, which was they feel like the pandemic, just get me out of the house, get me back to work. Um, uh, you know, I've got two daughters, you know, under four years old. So like trying to navigate that would have just been really difficult. Uh, but I, I guess one of the things that's kind of popping up here, you talked about the relational problem of kind of working at home. That's something that, you know, our listeners are gonna have to deal with and bosses and leaders. But the other part of working from home that I think you're unique to speaking to, I think it was Wall Street Journal did a study that people were actually more productive at home than they would have been in the office. I just wanna hear your general thoughts on that and kind of how you process that, those kind of inklings and in studies. I, I think that that is true. And I think that that is actually part of the frustration. <laughs> uh, so prior to the pandemic, when I was in an office, uh, not every week, but often uh, people on my team, when possible, we would try to work from home on Fridays. And the idea was you go home, you work from home Fridays, and no, we wouldn't schedule meetings on Fridays so you could really get your head down and get your work done. And so when we 
all shifted to working remotely, everyone expected that same, I'm, I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to get my work done. But then you still had all the meetings. And so it felt like your boss is constantly interrupting you on your work from home day. It felt like people are asking you dumb questions on the day that you should be being left alone. And so I think for a lot of people, the community aspect felt very intrusive because it was in their own space. Even if it was during work time, I think for a lot of people, it still felt intrusive. I, you know, there's a lot of TikToks and uh, Twitter jokes about the trauma from hearing that Microsoft Teams notification or Slack notification. <laughs> and, and I think that that's true. Like hearing that Microsoft Teams uh, video call ring, it's like, oh, I got to, I got to stop what I'm doing and answer whatever question this is that probably should have just been a chat. Um, so I think that I, productivity probably went up because people still ducked their head and got their stuff done. But a lot of times it wound up being at night. It wound up being really early in the morning or when they would have rather have been doing something else uh, because they felt so interrupted or hassled during the rest of the workday. Well, but what would you say, like, I just, I just was hanging out with someone that said, I, I just don't want to go back to work. And I also think that sometimes you have to, you have to nuance some of this. So like the work that you and I do is highly relational. Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I, out of an extrovert at Myers-Briggs, I'm like 97% extroverted. I get my energy for being <laughs> around people. And yeah. I think, so, you know, there are a group of people that it's like, I'm a business analyst, like send me the email I'll create the spreadsheet. You know, why do I need to kind of go back to work? And, you know, I think the majority of people, though, are kind of in the middle where how can we have some type of hybrid option uh, going forward? And so I guess, you know, how are you processing that even in your role? Because your role is highly relational even before coming to the small group network. But you do know that there are people that are like, you know, just give me the tasks I need to get done. Why do I need to be in the office for this? Yeah, so a little bit, probably more about my personality than you wanna know. I'm pretty down the middle when it comes to extrovert and introvert. I'm fine with staying home by myself. I'm fine with going out with friends. Um, ambivert, as they like to say. Yeah, ambivert. And I uh, am also fairly task-oriented as, as a person. Uh, rather than relationship oriented. And uh, part of that has come from my career. When I was freelance and consulting, I had to be both a strategist and the doer and got used to that. I learned a lot by doing and it really fed into my strategy. So as I kind of grew in my career and had people um, under me, part of Part of my original, part of my poor management originally was I had my whole career had just been like, well, I have to figure it out myself. So I would give someone a job and then say, just figure it out. And that's how, <laughs> not how a lot of people are wired. Um, so don't do that if you're new in leadership. Um, but I, 
so for me, the uh, the part of I think the leadership has a unique challenge because a lot of people just want to know what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it, and then the space to do it. Mm. Uh, but for a leadership, a person in leadership, you to really accomplish this well, it needs to be done as a team. Mm. And building that team culture and that team synergy, to use like a lame business word, um, is just different in a remote aspect. It's not better or worse or harder or easier, it's different. So developing that in a way that people know what their relational and team uh, outcomes and goals are and how they can grow in that is gonna be the role of leadership. Uh, and for me, this new role has been a learning curve uh, because now all these people are volunteers and they're not employees. I can't say do it or, you know, you're in trouble. I, I say, do it, please. <laughs> <laughs> I am one of your volunteers. So yeah, you're yeah. very gracious. <laughs> and I have to be respectful of everyone's time because this isn't their day job. Uh, but what I have found, and I've been blown away by the generous uh, servant, nature of so many people. And you know this, you've been in the network longer than I have, like the people who believe in it, who are doing amazing things and are looking for someone to say, hey, if you wanna help, here's how you can help. And so I've been learning a lot about what it's like to work with people who are here as a volunteer basis and to kind of build a culture around that. And what's great is, uh, the people who were most heavily involved in the network were already remote. Mm -hmm. uh, they, I mean, the we're an asynchronous network. We we have people in a hundred different countries, and so it's it's great. I get WhatsApp chats from Africa and from the Philippines and Australia. I I look at our analytics, and we're uh, we have a Spanish site and Spanish uh, materials. And I'm hoping to simultaneously launch three other languages within the next five years. And uh, we've got a lot going on and it's all volunteer and it's all uh, asynchronous and remote. And honestly, I hope we can kind of build a model for churches and nonprofits first and foremost, but also for general leadership on how to build a culture of remote, not just remote productivity, but remote teamwork. I wanna talk more about the small group network just to help our listeners understand, but I, I don't wanna miss this moment because I think what you're saying is the wrong question is remote or in person. The better question is, how am I building relationships? So probably the majority of our audience isn't necessarily in leadership positions, but they would probably say that their biggest stressor is somebody at work just ticks them off. And part of that is <laughs> like, we don't do task only jobs. Like we have to work with other people. And if you aren't building those relationships, you're just gonna get more frustrated. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, it is. And um, I'll tell you some of the, the two biggest areas I learned how to personally do this. Uh, number one was, I. I'm the type of 
my personality is if you and I are friends and I don't see you for a year or three years or four years and we come in contact again, I'm totally fine with picking up right where we left off. Uh, unfortunately, that also would be true for my family. <laughs> so way back in the day, I started a Facebook page and signed my mom up for Facebook just so she could look at my Facebook page instead of calling me all the time <laughs> when I was living in California. And, um, but through all that, I, before the pandemic, we were video chatting with my family in Ohio and my wife's family uh, regularly. And my kids had been doing it regularly. So when the pandemic hit, nothing changed for them. They saw, grandma and grandpa just as much. Mm -hmm. uh, they had their relationship took zero hit with that. Uh, my wife, who is not normally a sports uh, fanatic or anything like that, signed her family up for a fantasy football league because her brother is also the like not regular communicator. And so every fall, they are together and very engaged as a family because they're all in this fantasy football league. And um, it, was, it wasn't that football was the important aspect of it. It was just a medium for them to build relational culture around. Mm. But the biggest thing that really helped uh, was actually how I dated my wife. I, um, we had met years before we started dating before she was a Christian and uh, kind of lost contact with each other for a few years. And then um, she became a, a believer and a Christian. And uh, because we shared common interest at that time, she looked me up again, but I had moved to California. She was in Ohio. And uh, so we started kind of hanging out. And then one year over Christmas, uh, we started dating and I'm, went out to California. She stayed in Ohio that summer. I had an internship in Quito, Ecuador. And uh, through uh, just an unrelated uh, relationship, a uh, mutual friend, she wound up uh, teaching English in the jungle in Ecuador uh, for a completely different thing. And we only overlapped in the country by about a week. Uh, and so, that summer I was in Quito, she was in Ohio. I flew back to California. She was in Ecuador in the jungle. Uh, we both flew home to Ohio for Christmas, got engaged. I went back to California. She went back to Ecuador. Uh, and then she flew back to Ohio in June and I flew out in July and we were married in July. So the whole relationship was basically long distance and international. And uh, I learned a lot about relationship building <laughs> uh, internationally. Uh, and I also learned that that is, I saw just how vital and growing that was gonna be. I, while I was there, I stayed in this, um, we went to the small town out kind of in the jungle. I, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, uh, Jim Elliot and Nate Saint, mm -hmm. and there's some missionaries who were martyred there uh, several decades ago. Uh, they had a house in this in this town, um, and some of the people there had known them, and uh, so it was pretty remote, like pretty pretty out there, uh, jungle river, the whole nine yards. Uh, 
And in the center of this town was a big circle of dead grass uh, because that's where the best cell phone reception was. And people would go out and walk in a circle talking with their friends who had moved to the capital or a different part of a uh, different part of the country uh, and maintaining remote relationships, even though they were literally as remote as you can get. Uh, my wife would regularly not have electricity, but she would still have a cell phone, wifi, cell Wi-Fi on her laptop. Uh, so as long as her battery lasted, we could Skype or video chat at the time. So I learned a ton about building relationships just from long distance dating. You know, um, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but our our most listened to episode is why would anyone marry Peter Englert where my wife comes in <laughs> and w we have a very similar story. Like I, the first smartphone I got and the first smartphone she got is when our relationship started. And, you know, Apple, if you want to pay me for FaceTime, um, you know, ads, I, I totally take it. But, you know, I, it, it's so funny cause I, I think you and I are very similar in age. Um, and it's just, it's weird because within a blink of an eye, I, if you would have told me when I first met my wife, this is what the world's going to, I just was in it. And so even to hear mm -hmm. you say that, I don't think people like completely grasp that perspective. You know, there's 60 and 70 year olds that are like, you can't do, you know, you can't do life, you know, online. And it's like, well, you can, you know, I love what you said. It's just different. And um, man, that that's just powerful. So I want to come back to, because you've mentioned it, you know, you work for this organization called the Small Group Network. For those of you that don't know what small groups are, you know, part of my, the number one task of my job at Browncroft is to support 80 small groups. These are 10 to 12 people. There's leaders. Um, they meet on their own, you know, a good majority meet in person. And all of the sudden, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, I like had to train and help and resource 70, 80 small groups to start meeting over Zoom. And there's a lot of thoughts about that. Um, but James, a lot of what you do is remote. As you talk to even our listeners, not necessarily small group leaders or small group point people, as we like to call them, like pastors like myself at churches, you know, what in this topic of why don't we keep working from home, you could probably do anything. Why don't we just do small groups from home, you know, or digitally or something like that? You know, I guess, how are you trying to resource and help leaders in this brand new world that people are like asking these questions that we never had because we just lived through a pandemic? So we have through the network, we, the one thing that I think we're doing better than anyone else. And the one thing that we are living better than anyone else is the fact that the debate between virtual and physical is a nonsensical debate. The opposite of virtual is not, the opposite of digital is not physical. Mm -hmm. Digital is a form of communication. Communication as in language, as in how you talk, how you speak with each other. Communication is also a foundational part of culture. So people feel that, like I said, um, as a cultural shift, as a cross-cultural move, as 
uh, culture shock. Uh, so for us, we have resources like our website, we have content and articles and blogs and, and videos and webinars and courses and all that stuff. And it's great and it's super helpful. And it was especially necessary when people couldn't leave their room. We also have uh, what we call the connection side, which is where people like you, we put up in groups of other people like you. <laughs> we say, hey, y'all, why don't you meet once a quarter, once a month, whatever, whatever you can do in your area. And so all these small group pastors or small group point people can get together and basically do the water cooler talk or gripe about whatever. <laughs> I, <laughs> they're, they're bosses um, with someone who isn't also employed by them. Uh, and so the, I had mentioned at the very beginning, people are more inclined to get annoyed with culture that is similar to theirs than one that's wildly different. They're more understanding with something that's wildly different. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why people are frustrated with the digital versus physical because for many people who were not immersed culturally in a digital space, they see it as being like almost the right thing, but like, why would you do that when you could do something obviously better? Which is how they are formed culturally. I, one of the best long distance dates that I did with my wife, um, at the time their Google had just launched their first TV ad and it was, during the Super Bowl, and they had an ad where it just shows someone typing in the search bar a bunch of different queries. And, and in the search bar, you see them planning a study abroad in France and then um, trying to learn French and then meeting a girl in French and then eventually getting married and eventually shopping for um, cribs. Uh, and so it had been like a big, in the ad world, if you're in marketing, it was like a big deal because number one, it was very, emotionally evocative ad. But number two is Google's first ad, not on a Google-owned platform. And uh, so I did kind of a parody ad of that about our relationship um, and about how to celebrate Valentine's Day in Ecuador. And so I'd done all the search and made a little video of this, like doing searches about how, you know, how do they celebrate Valentine's Day and, and searching for flowers. And um, I had sent it to her on the morning of Valentine's Day. And meanwhile, had actually um, gotten a friend of hers to pay them to buy the flowers and be standing outside the door with the flowers right after she watched the video. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was, Unfortunately, a, a big move to do so early in the relationship. Now I have to like do stuff like that all the time. Um, <laughs> but kind of set myself up a little too much there. But uh, it worked super well because it was digitally uh, emotionally evocative, but also tied into where she was. And it Im immersed both of those because the opposite of digital is not a physical space, it's a different way of communication. So I think that I th the digital debate is the same as like, why don't you write physical notes anymore? Or why don't you pick up the phone and call someone instead of texting? And um, it's because for many people, it's a slightly different language or a different accent that they have a harder time. It's like when I moved to Nashville, I had to learn Southern. <laughs> it's all English, but <laughs> uh, it's a little different, y'all. <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, yeah, 
that, that that's my favorite one. Well, hey, you know, as we kind of focus on our listeners, this has been just a robust conversation that I think is helping our listeners process through this question, you know, why don't we keep working from home? As you're, t- if you were to sit down, you know, with someone that, you know, in September, their organization's going to reopen and they're saying, hey, come back to the cubicle. Um, how would you coach them to have some conversations just about that? And even how would you challenge them if they say, I really don't want to go back to work? You know, if you're sitting having coffee or, zoom in with them, you know, what are some of your initial thoughts? Uh, if I were king of the world, (laughs) (laughs) um, there are some people who are either going to want to, or need to come back to the office for a variety of reasons. I, in the move, we had to downsize just for cost of living. And so my beautiful, delightful, heaven on earth home office is gone now. And I also have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So working uh, with them running amok is a big challenge. So there's going to be a lot of people who just because of kids and childcare and all that, they're going to need a space. Uh, And there's going to be other people who just straight up got things done when they're at home. Like they were in their own space. They are happier. and so I think building a culture that is flexible around both, and this is totally my opinion and guess, and I don't have any articles or statistics to back this up, but uh, just from my own time working remotely, people are gonna enjoy workspaces. So set up your office so it's less just like an army of cubicles and more a co-working space. And when you do that, I think there, number one, there's gonna be times when you need to have meetings in the office for one reason or another, but there's also gonna be a decent amount of times where people just wanna come in and, and do some co-working together. And I think that would be, I think leadership tends to want to mandate that rather than build the space where that's gonna happen organically. And I think when you mandate that, that's where you're gonna get a lot more pushback. But if you are able to build that organically in the culture, then it's gonna feel, feel natural for people, even people who prefer remote work. Um, two, two last questions. I, how do you have the conversation with your boss? Like, you know, Peter's 35 years old. You know, his job is relatively... He's got to do some relational, but most of the job is, you know, crunching numbers or something like that. I mean, how do you have the the conversation with your boss of kind of saying, hey, can can I just have a little bit more space for home? Like, how, how would you approach that, you know, depending on your task and role? Well, be, the day before, update your LinkedIn profile saying you're open to new offers. <laughs> I'm <just> I, this is a, a, a weirdly challenging time to have that conversation. I, because bosses are aware of that po- Like there's been a million articles about employees at Apple who are revolting because they want to keep working remotely. And so a lot of companies are like, okay, there's the door. Uh, there is 
an unusually high amount of turnover going on right now. So there's a lot of bosses are like, well, we already lost, you know, three people. What's losing one more? Uh, That being said, because of the high rate of turnover, so many other companies are hiring. So if it really doesn't go well, you probably do have other options. But that being said, uh, let's, let's focus on trying to stay currently employed. Um, I think that I, number one, the past year for most of us is presents a pretty good data set of saying like, hey, we did great here. We did great like this. Uh, I also think it's okay to aim big and then settle for uh, in the office two or three days a week. Mm-hmm. and uh, remote the rest. Uh, but I do think it's something, it's a conversation you should be having. The other aspect, and this is as someone who came from a megacorp that employed like a third of the humans on planet Earth, or, um, your boss is probably in that tough spot too, uh, of his boss's boss's boss saying, okay, we're all coming back to the office now. I, you need to get your people back in. I, I mean, there's only so much that he or she, your boss can do. So bring that up with your boss, but also do it with a little bit of humility, knowing that they might not really have any say in the matter. Uh, and know your own limits know whether or not, hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm really willing to look for somewhere where it will work out. Uh, but um, yeah, and if, I mean, like I went back to earlier, it goes down to how dissatisfied are you with the current situation versus how much do you really want something? If you're very dissatisfied with going back to the office, you're willing to quit. If you really want to work at home, then you're willing to look for another job where you can. But if you're just annoyed about going back to the office and kind of want to work at home, you're probably just going to go back to the office. Well, one one quick thing that I would just add is like, what what's yours to control? Um, you know, and so we're recording this the week before I go to vacation. Um, and you know, if I'm planned out and organized, um, that, that completely changes things. And I, the majority of businesses that I'm hearing, they're doing some hybrid approach, whether it's four days in the office, one off or three days on two days off, they're doing something like that. And so I, I just think, you know, for you to be able to look at your tasks and to be able to figure out, okay, when do I need to engage people? When do I need to kind of have some time there? I'm still not really good at this. Like, I, I my email's like whack-a-mole. Like, my goal every week is to get to zero. But I also realize that that's terrible because, like, there's other work I should be working on as opposed to doing that. So, you know, even before you start having that conversation with your office or your boss, I think it's important just to have that, you know, kind of internal reflection. If I could model my week in a way that's helpful, I think that could be there, so. Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice for people, whether they're in leadership or not, honestly, is to build your own water cooler. Mm. I, I, that was a space at work where you could go and just talk about whatever was on TV or gripe about your boss or <laughs> whatever. And when all of a sudden 
everything is company owned, like your Microsoft Teams account, your whatever is company owned. You can't do that there anymore. And uh, I had, even before the pandemic, I had built my own water cooler. I built, um, I was in a meeting that I didn't need to be in and um, was messing around on my computer to be perfectly honest. And I'm pretty good at building websites and can do them pretty quickly. So in this half hour meeting, I built a website called jamespointsleaders.com. It's still available. You can check it out. And um, anyone who had done me a favor that wasn't like obligated to because they're reporting to me or whatever, I would give them points, just arbitrary James points and celebrate them on this website and then send them a little email. Congratulations, you've reached points or whatever. And there were, there were one of being two entire divisions of the company that like actively competed to win James points. <laughs> and that had like, that are aside from me, don't have anything to do with my imprint or, or anything like that. And um, James points came up in multiple meetings that I was not present in and just because it was a water cooler. It wasn't like, it was dumb and silly and a hundred percent arbitrary. Like I could assign someone points for whatever I wanted um, and completely capriciously. Uh, the And I intentionally would not give points to my bosses or anyone too high above me just because I didn't want it to look like I was kissing up or anything. In fact, the only two people that got James demerits was my immediate boss and our competitor <laughs> company. <laughs> so it's dumb and silly, but it was a great way to like have something to talk about that wasn't work to avoid like burnout at work and to um, build a water cooler. Uh, culture and it worked both in the office and outside the office. And then um, once a year, whoever ended that year with the most points, I actually ordered like one of those really nice corporate trophies, like crystal trophies, with like 2020 James Point Leader winner, <laughs> and mailed it to their house. And they like would put it as their team's profile picture and. <laughs> and everything else. So it works out like, I mean, obviously that's just a silly example and you can do your own thing, but it's a great way to um, build that kind of culture and um, build relationships. And it takes less than five minutes to award someone James points. I, and then I can go back to doing whatever I was doing and they're gonna be much more forgiving if I'm slow to respond to an email because they know I'm still working on stuff. They know I still care about them. They know like that they are a priority to me. Man, that's so good. Um, there's the Dundies and then there's the James points. So there we go. <laughs> well, you know, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, we always end the question, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? And the way we do that is I close the episode or I answer that question first and then our guest just cleans it up. Um, especially if there's any heresy. So I'll start and then I'll let you finish. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, so this has been a, a very practical, but also just, I wouldn't even say this is solution oriented. This is when you understand the problem, it helps you in your real life. And you've kind of cultivated that. But, you know, 
I'm not going to point to a single Bible verse, but I am going to point to the fact that Jesus just seemed to be available at the right times. And I think as we read throughout the New Testament, um, you know, the people that God puts there, you know, Peter and Paul, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, like you read about these figures in the Bible and they're just available at the right time and God seems to have them at the right spot. So, you know, I think about this, why don't we keep working from home? I think, I think the better question is, why should it, or, you know, something to the effect of where can I be available at my work to build some of those connections, you know, and how do I, how do I toss this out as a pastor? I realize I have to be physically available to people, but I do the hardest job I can to be digitally available. And those worlds collide more than I think people realize. And even doing this podcast, what I'm doing with you in California you know, you're in California, it's the morning, um, it's lunchtime here. The fact that we're available and just anticipating questions people have, you know, that's what I think that all of us have to wrestle with, whether you're the entry-level intern all the way up to the CEO, that if you dismiss physical or digital, that you're not available to people that could be really helpful. So I would just, that would be my kind of, what would Jesus say about it? What about you? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think obviously there's a lot of big parallels. Like the Bible is that onboarding wiki <laughs> for for new believers. I think that it's, I mean, it's a, such a perfect document for how to and why to and all of this engage in a relationship with Christ and understanding and knowing who God is and who we are in relationship with that. Uh, and Christ also, he was great at, at being present, but he also excelled at asynchronous communication. <laughs> um, honestly, for me, one of the most comforting passages in the Bible is John 17, where Christ prays for the believers who would come after the disciples, mm -hmm. the ones who would believe because of the things that they said. And when you're going through a hard time, like Jesus himself prayed for you, like, it's nice to go and ask for a prayer request at church and that's great. And we should be doing that. But like the son of God prayed for you. And I love that. I, but I also like from a pastoral role, I, we, our first child only lived for a day. Mm. And at that time um, we were very involved in our church. My wife was actually the nursery director at our church and I was the missions director. And because of my role as missions director, I built a lot of international relationships. And so there were people who were present with me digitally uh, from the other side of the world as we went through that. And their texts, their emails, their videos, all that were just as meaningful as the people who are sitting there in the room with us. Uh, and they were just as impactful. And because in that time, there's no right words to say, like when a parent's losing a child, like there's nothing right to say there. There's no perfect words. Um, there's just presence. And uh, from my own personal experience, I can tell you that there were people who were present with me all over the world. Wow. James, uh, let's close with this. How can people follow you? Tell, tell everybody quick about the small group network. This is coming out 
end of August, September. But uh, yeah, go ahead. This is your free promo. All right. Small group network is one of the best places to be on the internet, especially if you're a small group point person. We are kind of expanding for um, and eventually doing leading a little bit more towards uh, offering resources for small group leaders as well, in addition to small group point people. But you can go to smallgroupnetwork.com. Uh, you can like our page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, but one of the most vibrant communities is our Facebook group. And uh, it's just a great place to toss out a question. You're going to get some answers. You'll see some fun or funny stuff. Uh, and our newsletter is growing really well. But uh, coming up September 14th, which is probably right around the corner when this goes live, we're going to be doing what we call a virtual lobby. Uh, and that will be a chance to hear from different speakers and different breakout rooms. You can join us live uh, and it will also be available on demand following that. So yeah, check us out at smallgroupnetwork.com. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Remember, the best way to get in touch with Why God Why is to go to whygodwhypodcast.com and sign up and subscribe to our email. Um, we're going to continue with this uh, reopening series. James, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me.